It is the Chicagoverse podcast on the Dynasty Podcast Network, featuring interviews with Chicago's premier artists in industry and creatives and culture leaders. Hosted by Haima Black, welcome to Chicago. Dynasty Podcasts, live uh, here on Facebook. We're virtual. And I am here with Lior Galil, uh, old friend of the podcast, and, and just like man about town, man about Twitter. How are you doing today? I'm okay. This week has been, you know, garbage uh, with all the layoffs and and just general state of the world. It's been a garbage number of weeks for sure. And and yeah, you know, the podcast will come up a couple days later. But when we're recording this, a number of media layoffs were just announced. And and these are following other media layoffs, following all of the industry, you know, layoffs across every industry. So it's it's a rough time on a lot of levels. You know, how has your quarantine been? Uh, which is a weird question for two days. I mean, it's, that's the weird thing is, uh, you know, I miss going to shows. I miss being able to walk without, a you know, without a mask on, without feeling like I have to get out of the way for my safety and the safety of others. Whenever I see somebody, you know, a few feet away from me. Uh, yeah. but I also sort of relish the time at home, like the not structure of the quarantine, but being kind of uh, largely spending my time in my space has been kind of nice in that regard. I desperately miss everyone that I don't live with, but I, I appreciate having the time to read when I can focus on reading and just be in, in my own space and kind of develop silly projects for myself. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's all any of us can do while we're largely stuck inside is just kind of work on working on something, right? When we're, when we're able to commit to it. Um, and I am not one of these people who's like, hey, you've got a free, easy year. Just stay at home and learn coding. It's like, this is not an easy time to commit to anything. But if you can get yourself there, it's an opportunity in that respect, I guess, where it is some time, even though like, what a trade-off. So we are going to be talking today about something really cool that you have happening right now. Uh, it's called Chicago Pop Stars, Hardcore Heroes, and House Legends, 10 Years of Chicago Reader Music Features. And this is a new collection of your writing. Um, you know, how did this project come to be? Because this just released in the last couple of days. Yeah, um, so Tracy Bame, our publisher, uh, was considering doing some sort of series of books for the Reader's 50th anniversary featuring writings from uh, all the staffers. And when the pandemic hit and we lost, you know, close to 90% of our advertising within the first week of closures because we rely so heavily on ads for events, Tracy decided to, to kick some of these book projects into gear now, a little before our 50th anniversary to ensure that we can make it to 50. Um, so we had a, we had like a coloring book that came out like a week or two after that. And yeah, it's been kind of nonstop since then. When the year began, did you know that you would have a collection of your writing coming out? Or like, you know, was this really just, you know, yeah, something that came out of the quarantine moment? Or, or was this already in the works a little bit, like your specific collection? Uh, it was it was out of the quarantine moment. I think I, you know, I always, uh, I think anyone that gets into, into writing on a professional level kind of has uh, a little bit of a kernel of a dream of of being able to publish a book one day, but I didn't know really what that would involve and and how to actually do that but then when tracy said hey this is something we got to do yeah i started putting it putting it putting mine together 
something that's really interesting, you know, for people who have not checked it out, and it's linked, you know, all the places we're sharing this podcast uh, as it's live and when we publish the audio. But one of the things that struck me right off the bat when I downloaded it a couple days ago, it's like 170 pages. Like this is not a thin 10 page PDF. This is a real it's a book. It's a book. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be in print where, uh, I believe the copy should be arriving next week at the reader offices to be shipped off to everyone who's ordered print copies. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, write long, uh, these are, you know, this is a collection of my best stories and a lot of my best stories are long in themselves. We're talking like five, six, 7,000 word stories. So when you get just a couple of those, it's going to be more than 10 pages. Now, you know, on that note where, of course, we've heard the messaging so many times, like everyone has a short attention span, people only watch short videos, like things like that. But at least, you know, and I'm in my 30s, so maybe it's different, but it's like, I feel like I love finding something long form. If I find something on a topic I want to read about, I love when it's, yeah, 5,000 words. I don't want to just read three quotes in a short little interview. So, you know, for you, what kind of feedback do you get from either the artists you're interviewing or people reading it? when you write these like long kind of extensive deep dives? It's, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about that, that I guess is a good anecdote is uh, about a month into the quarantine, we published a story that I had pitched before any of this was a reality about pumpkin donuts up on Belmont and Clark. Yeah. Uh, so to publish a 6,000 word story about a phenomenon of people gathering that was immersive that I hope was immersive for people who had either been there or not been there. It seemed like people really, I mean, it didn't seem like people did react so positively to that. A lot of the feedback that I, I got was just like, you captured that. And that's always what I try to do as a journalist is to capture the character of whatever I'm writing about, be it a profile, be it a, a specific scene, you know, be it an album. I want people who know nothing about it to go in blindly or who know everything about it to go in and really get a sense of what the character for that thing that I'm writing about is or see it in a new light if they are familiar with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I I always regret personally not being like a teenage punk or industrial fan in Chicago in the eighties. I had the mid nineties on. So I just missed like the Siamese dream moment, but I got the melancholy and the infinite sadness moment. Right. But I was like, you know, I read these stories like Medusa's and wax tracks and I'm always just like, God, that would have been amazing. But I did get to be there, you know, for a, a time of that, you know, the tail end of that Pumpkin Donuts moment. And I have to say, yeah, I was like, oh, shit, I'm 15 again. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm worried about my car getting towed in this parking lot. Like that article really, you know, and you were not, I don't mean this in a dick way. It's like you weren't there, but you did capture the moment and what it felt like. So, yeah, I mean, that article among many you've written, I was just like, God damn, man, like this nailed it. I love that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't there, which I think kind of helped me in my in my attempts to try to to bring it to life in the best way that I could. It helps sometimes to be an outsider to understand what makes something special and to dig up the details that people who were there might have forgotten or might not have considered as something that was profound in, in its way. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in putting this collection together, I, I know for me, I don't listen to my old podcasts. You know, I, I research and prep for them. I record them. I edit them. By the time I've gotten to that point, I'm just like, I'm never listening to this again. I don't need to. I, I love the guests I have on, but I don't need to listen to myself over and over again. For you, what was it like to go back and reread all these articles from the last decade or so? Like, <laughs> you know, 
it, you know, I, uh, I sometimes have to do that for my work to begin with, to remember, to get the fine details that I might not remember even a month later. Yeah. So in some ways I've always been checking back in on a lot of this stuff. And I, uh, you know, I, I sort of tell the passage of time through my story. So I can't, the 2010s were some years kind of blur together, but I can tell you like, Oh, this story came out in this specific year and can pull up the URL and recall certain aspects of it. So there was a familiarity with a lot of this stuff to me. And a lot of the work that's in here is so important to me to begin with that I feel like it's always been a part of who I am as a reporter that I carry with me every day that I could be like, of course I want these stories in there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it is like looking back on your own work. It's like, it's almost a little bit like looking at your yearbooks and being like, what was I doing with that haircut? But, you know, the the further you go in, the more you're like, all right, I, I knew what I was doing here, you know? So this collection, I mean, this is, it's impressive. Like, you know, we've got features about like Angel Olsen, Frankie Knuckles, Bob Nana, Jamila Woods, uh, you know, John Walt, Pivot Gang, Chance, obviously. Like, what can you say about some of these features that you put, you know, in this collection? It's interesting to see how they build off one another in a lot of ways. I didn't put them in chronological order. That was something that I had considered. Uh, Jamie Ludwig, who helped edit this this book, was just like, how do you want to frame this? And I think that that really helped me figure out a loose structure where there are characters who kind of float in and out of several of the stories. And rather than trying to create like a coherent narrative between all of those characters in a way that might make some of the stories feel orphaned, I try to set it up in a way that makes everything kind of feel like it's part of a whole, but also distinct in its own way, in a way that like we're all living in this city right now in the way that people do tend to float in and out of other folks' lives, uh, just being a participant in a creative community. There's such a, from like a narrative perspective, you're right. You do have like this, you know, I grew up reading comics. You have this crossover element, you know what I mean? Like you have people who are in this scene who go into that scene and then they're recurring and, and, I've always viewed this a city like Chicago in that framework of just like, this is a very narrative city in that sense where it is like the personalities here are characters. I mean, you're, you tweet a good amount about Sharkula. That's a very Chicago phenomenon. It's a Chicago persona because, you know, here we have very larger than life people and, and personas in our culture and in our music. I mean, Sharkula is Chicago to me as much as this, you know, the Sears Tower. Sure. Uh, and more than the bean, I would say he's, <laughs> he is, I mean, that's, that's been one of the, the hardest things of the quarantine is, is being worried about Sharkula. Like I, I want to make sure that he is, he is okay. And he is safe because he's, he's somebody that I care about, even though he's somebody that I am not like in conversation with every day, but he is to me so representative of what makes this city special and distinctive that I want him to be okay. <laughs> No, absolutely. And I, I definitely want to, you know, in a few minutes I, I have in my notes, like I want to move into some discussion of kind of just like how we are adjusting in this moment in Chicago music with what's going on. But, you know, a couple more questions about the book, because the book is really interesting. I haven't gotten to read through as much of it as I would like yet, because it's it's dense. Um, but, you know, when you were putting this together, were there articles that you were hoping would make the cut that just for one reason or another they didn't make it, you know, in at the end of the day, or maybe, you know, down the line is a volume two. Yeah. I mean, I had originally put together a list of 40 stories and then 
in the process of, of having to corral all the words. I was like, this is too much. I, I just need to cut it out. That's, uh, I tell people all the time, uh, when they ask me what my favorite story is, I'll, I'll say the story that I'm working on now, which is absolutely true. I think I'm very lucky in that I get to figure out the stories that I want to spend time on. I'm the one coming up with the ideas. I'm the one investing that time in it. I really give it my full attention because I'm excited to work on that. So having to pick among more than, a, you know, more than a hundred stories that I've written for the reader, I've been writing for the reader for a decade. In some cases I've been writing two features a month for the, you know, couple of years straight. Like it's, it's exhausting, <laughs> but yeah, having a window that down to 20 was not easy. Uh, and there's a lot of work that I love that didn't make it into the book. But I, I'm happy with what I chose to represent my work in this volume. Yeah. Uh, what's the response been like, you know, from people who, because now the collection has been out for a couple days, a week or so. Like, what have you heard from people who have, you know, purchased it and started reading? Uh, I don't know that people have started reading it yet. I know that people are very excited to purchase it because, uh, you know, for another a number of reasons, it, all the money from this book goes to the reader. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, hopefully if you like the reader, hopefully you like the work that I'm doing. And so to be able to hold on to a more focused version of a lot of the work that I've been doing in a single book, hopefully is exciting to people. I know that uh, some people are waiting to just, actually have a physical copy of the book before they start reading it. But people are texting me and, and sending me messages like, Hey, I bought this. So this is, you know, this is exciting. It is uh, another way to just support the newspaper that you get a, a, you know, you get a book out of it too. Uh, so it's two birds for the, you know, two birds with one stone. Yeah. Two birds for the price of one. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm no. definitely brain dead. <laughs> Dude, it's been a weird year. Um, it's, yeah. it's the gas leak year. You know what I mean? But, it is. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things that I am, you know, I'm excited to dig in and really get to read it more too, because at least for me personally, and I don't know if anyone else feels like this, I have found when I'm reading, that's when I'm the most like, that's when I'm the least anxious at this moment in time. Like when I'm reading, you know, a book or anything else, like even a long form article, unless it's just like, we're all screwed. But when I'm just reading something that's not about how fucked we are, I'm really like kind of at my most calm at that point. So I think this is a good time for something long form that people can really dig into. Remember better times when we were maybe outdoors at a show or in a small room like the empty bottle and kind of escape back to that time. Little do you know, every story in here is just we're all screwed. <laughs> well, great. It's like being on Twitter. I could, yeah, I could get yeah. that for free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so... One of the things, you know, when you open the collection, you are talking about, you know, arriving in Chicago, you were already familiar with the reader. And even back then, before you were writing for them, it's clear you had a connection to the reader and you recognize the importance of the reader in Chicago. So right now at this moment in time, like I said, coming off of all these layoffs, coming off, you know, in this moment of in this moment of great uncertainty, how do you feel about the reader and its place in Chicago culture right now? Why? I know we know this, but why is it important? It's important because it reflects back, I think, one, culturally, the best of what the city has to offer. And I think has this, uh, you know, we, we have this mission of learning as we go, of, of trying to cover communities that we haven't before, of consistently growing in that regard. And we're able to do that with the kind of depth and clarity 
and I think a kind of like a literary sensibility that they won't find in any other outlet. And I think for a city like Chicago, which is bustling creatively, which is a world class city, but is often not treated with the same respect that it should be, that is critical to give that level of respect to the people who live here, to the people who are operating here, to the people who are creating beautiful works of art, be that music, be that film, be that visual art. It means everything. It is a legitimizing force in that regard. And that's just the part of journalism that I, I appreciate is showing you the world that's around you. Well, and, and that kind of transitions into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is the fact that, unfortunately, Chicago media has really shrunk you know, over the last decade or decade plus. And, and we could sit here all day, talk about the Tribune, talk about all these factors. And obviously there are people who are doing the work, who are doing great journalism. I mean, I look at, you know, the tribe, the team at the tribe, I have them coming up on an upcoming podcast and they are killing it right now. And they're not the only ones, you know, I work for Cranes. I know they're working hard, Block Club, like there's good media in Chicago. But if you look at the media scene in Chicago 10 or 12 years ago, it was a lot fuller it feels like. So something, long lead up to this, something that is happening now is the Chicago Independent Media Alliance or CIMA, C-I-M-A. Talk about what that is. How can people support it? You know, bring us into that. CIMA is a collective that is spearheaded by the reader. Uh, one of my coworkers, Yasmin, has been working on this project for 18 months. Uh, it, was, it was kind of a kernel of an idea that Tracy, our publisher, had for a while. This enterprise where every independent media outlet in, in the city could come together in, in sort of a, a unifying force to show that we are important and, and to kind of push the public awareness that, you know, we're, we're all in danger if we don't get the right, if we don't get support and yeah. specifically financial support. And so many of us were vulnerable before the pandemic, you know, journalism institution, with the exception of maybe the Washington Post, because it's owned by a soon-to-be trillionaire, uh, is in, <laughs> which is, you know, an aside. Uh, almost all journalism is in a, a really awful place, and it is impossible to navigate the world if we don't have news sources that we can rely on to tell us what is happening. And often that is the local outlets that are going to tell you what is happening in your world so that you can figure out how to live <laughs> There's never a time we don't need journalism, but holy shit, we need journalism right now. And you're right. We need local journalism. You know, when, again, when the tribe team is live tweeting those Lori Lightfoot meetings every day, it's like, that is important because we can read an article, you know, yeah, in the Atlantic about the, the bigger picture, you know, pie in the sky, but I want to know what's happening here in Chicago. Can I see my family in the next three months? You know what I mean? Like what's, what's the reality here? So SEMA, I mean, I think this is great. People can go to savechicagomedia.org and, you know, they can either donate with a donation, like a financial donation that goes to every outlet, or they can specify the outlet that they want to support, correct? Yeah, there are 43 organizations that are part of this fundraising initiative that goes until June 5th. Uh, and you can go and donate $5, $10, $20, donate as much as you can. Obviously, now is a time where uh, finances are really difficult for everyone. But you can have the money split evenly among all 43 outlets, or you can decide how you want to split the money or if you just want to direct to a single outlet. There might be some outlets in there that you aren't plugged into, but that's part of the point of this is that 
all of these places are critical to either a specific neighborhood or possibly a larger aspect of the city. And all of them are necessary for us to, to live. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we, we need that local journalism. Certainly, it, it sounds cliche to be like, now more than ever, but yeah, clearly at this moment more than ever, we need to know what's going on in our community because we look at that moment where the house party happened, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and it's so easy to go online and I get it. Like, it's so easy to go online and be like, you guys are fucking it up. Like you're ruining it for the rest of us. But if you don't have people telling the stories of why things are happening and what the impact is. And, you know, I mean, again, we know this, but it's, it's crucial to have that happening here. And I hope, you know, that Chicago media obviously is able to survive this moment, you know, because we are seeing such an impact nationally, certainly with all the layoffs, which is heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, and people need to know what's happening. They will find a way to know what's happening. And when there are all these outlets that are already doing the hard work and that could use your support, why not give a little now in the hopes that we'll all be around when this is over? Absolutely. You have also been vocal on Twitter about Lollapalooza, expecting that to cancel, which it is weird that it is not canceled yet because certainly, you know, even if we're able to like venture out a little bit, maybe visit the lake here and there this summer, by the end of the summer, there's no way in hell 4,000 or 100,000 people per day for four days can gather in Grant Park unless we're like, let's kill the city, right? So it is weird that they have not canceled. What are your thoughts on that? Like, and just the Lala thing in general? I mean, a few people have already pointed this out to, to me and other people who have been like, why hasn't it canceled? It hasn't been announced either. There are mechanics behind the scenes that likely preventing this from being formally announced in any way. They haven't announced ticket sales. That is clearly not like, it's clearly not going to happen. But when you have the mechanics that are, that are involved in staging a four day event featuring more than 200 featuring roughly 200 acts, should this have worked the way that it did in the past few years, there's going to be a lot of mechanics going on. And specifically since things started closing in the middle of March, especially after South by Southwest canceled, I'm curious what the insurance for Lollapalooza looks like because a lot of uh, insurance companies have said that you can't cancel now because of a pandemic, which is a very specific and terrible thing to suggest to people right now. But yeah, there, there are so many legal loopholes that I'm sure that they have to go through. And because they're a company that doesn't have to be transparent and that famously isn't transparent about a lot of this stuff, I can't imagine that we'll ever get a look into the gears behind that mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. And and to me, the South by Southwest moment was the moment where it's like, oh, holy shit, like this is, this is happening. Like this is a real thing, you know, because South by it's, it's a juggernaut. You know, if you've ever gone there, you recognize the footprint it has in Austin, Texas, which is not the biggest city in the world. And it's like, when they unplugged that, I was like, oh, this is not going to be business as usual, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, Live Nation, which owns a controlling stake in C3, which is the company that puts on Lollapalooza, is attempting to experiment with like drive-in concerts. And it wouldn't surprise me if they try to transform Lollapalooza into something resembling that this year. Again, this is all hearsay and based off sure. of whatever string information is, is out there. But, you know, they're a company that Live Nation is the single largest live music promoter in the world and they're losing a lot of money now, they're going to try to make as much money as they can, given the circumstances. So it's possible. Well, and on that note, like, what are your thoughts about, you know, we've all seen these 
articles floating on Twitter about, you know, we're all going to wear these kind of like Daft Punk space suits at shows and we're all going to do like drive-in shows and, you know, we're going to watch concerts in Fortnite. And I'm not even like knocking any of these ideas, nor am I advocating for them, but it's just like, yeah, like that's not a concert though. You know, like that's not what we consider a concert. Like I know none of us have a timetable, but like, what do you see happening in the the near or long-term future of like live music? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, there's so many different variables that go into that. If the, you know, if the federal government fixes the PPP program and some of these funds can go to help smaller venues that are hurting more than most other businesses and will continue to hurt because they, as uh, everyone involved in live music has been saying, they're the first to close and they're going to be the last to reopen. Yeah, they're, they're all in a really bad position. And unless they get a lot of federal assistance, we're unfortunately not going to see some of those venues around. I hope we see, <laughs> I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope some of these places are going to continue to exist because I can't imagine what it'll be like to live in this city without all of these venues that are so critical to my understanding of the, of the city's culture and have done so much to sustain an independent, not just one independent, but several independent voices in music. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I've got, you know, I've got another broadcast like this, uh, a week from the day that we're recording this, Friday the 22nd, I believe, uh, and, and it's not formally announced, but I've got a number of venue owners where we're going to do like a Zoom roundtable like this and just dig into that very question. But yeah, it is, it's kind of unfathomable to think like, what does Chicago look like without the Metro, the Empty Bottle, Shubas, the Hideout, any of these independent rooms? And it's not, it's not something any of us want to see happen for sure. So, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time now, but, you know, what do you have coming up in, you know, the near or long-term future? You know, what are some other features? I know you just dropped the feature with Knowledge. Uh, you know, of course, people might know him from Kids in the Hall, but but what else is on deck for you? I'll let you in on this much. I've been interviewing uh, people who make, uh, who compose music for video games for oh, a story. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so... Oh, that's, that is where I'll leave that, but keep an eye out. That'll be out in a couple of weeks. And then, you know, summer, my summer plans have completely fallen apart. Summer's always been challenging for me because particularly as festival season kind of morphed into this like monster in Chicago, the past few years, you'd have some festivals pop up a few weeks before they happen or like get formally announced a few weeks before they happen. And that just throws off my entire schedule, you know, and I definitely miss a lot of things about summer and it pains me that none of these events are going to happen, but I also, I'm a little glad that I'm going to have weekends to myself again and not have to work basically around the clock for two, three months. Yeah, no, I, I feel I'm, I'm right there with you. It's like on the one hand, of course, just like everybody, I want Chicago summertime because that's of course what we all endure the winter for, but you know, this this is that summer where it's like, if you're able to afford the time to do so, it's like, if you've been thinking that you wanted to write that book or something, like you're never going to get another three or four months with this much spare open time. And I was telling somebody else this today, this is the summer where you're going to have the least amount of FOMO. You're not going to open your Instagram and be like, all these people are having fun without me. You're going to be like, wow, we're all fucking miserable right now. Yeah. Which is, you know, I guess that's the one silver lining is like all of us are in, in a lot of pain because of that. Hopefully, hopefully the numbers of people who uh, are losing 
loved ones to COVID or are struggling with COVID that starts to go down. That is obviously the worst thing, but we're all, yeah. you know, none of us are happy about this. No, not at all. All of us could go online and be like, here's what I was going to do this year. Here's what I'm missing. And I think everyone is collectively trying not to do that because it's hard to be like, I was supposed to go on vacation when people are in the hospital, but it's like all of us had plans, you know? So I, on a personal level, we're all feeling the loss of that. And on a larger, more meaningful level, we're all ideally feeling empathy for all the people who are going through a hard time with this. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's a rough time, but I'm glad that, you know, you've got things going on. You have this new collection, you know, again, it's called Chicago pop stars, hardcore heroes and house legends, 10 years of Chicago reader music features. Uh, where can people get that? Because the link is on your Twitter, uh, but it's not like a short link. If you go to the reader website, uh, near the top of the page, there is, uh, I believe a button to click to support the reader and you'll be directed to a website that has links to all of our recent projects, which, uh, like the reader coloring book, our 420 activity guide, uh, there are, you can get like a subscription, a 12 week print subscription mailed to you. There are a variety of other projects that we've rolled out to financially support us because we're a free newspaper. And yeah. the book is in there. So if you go to the reader website, you'll be able to find it. I appreciate the time. I, I always appreciate you taking time to chat, you know, on the mic or off. And and for real, I am really excited to dig into this book and just kind of escape into some long form reading into better days in this city. And hopefully we have better days in the music scene and in general here on the other side of this, man. But Lior Galil, thank you so much for taking some time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's really nice seeing you. Awesome, man. Take care. Me too. You've been listening to a production of Dynasty Podcasts. Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the dynamic dynasty, Dynasty Descend.